This week's episode is brought to you by CISO, the 100% commercial-free streaming comedy service. With a selection of the finest and quotable classics, next day, late night, and exclusive original series, CISO has all the comedy you crave for only $3.99 a month. Go to CISO.com today to start your one-month free trial, and be sure to use promo code IW20 at checkout to get an additional free month. That's right, two free months of comedy for fans with special brains that get medieval animated improv, reality show parodies, and know that sadness is British comedy's secret sauce. Stop waiting to stream the comedy you crave and sign up at CISO.com today with promo code IW20 to start your two-month free trial. CISO, you get it. Is very good television podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And today we have a special treat for you. We're going to admit we were wrong about some stuff. Maybe. I'm not. You're not. But uh, as uh, this is the second year we've done this. This is our second annual uh, Liz and Ben look back at our most anticipated shows of 2016 and we figure out what we got right and what we got wrong in looking forward at the upcoming year. Yeah, I've I've given this quick scan, and I think Liz, your batting average was uh, very impressive, like 650, 700. I mean, mine was a perfect thousand, but you know, not everybody can beat me. I mean, the 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 modesty with which you say that really makes me believe it and commit to that idea. I know, <laughs> confidence. You just you have to do things with confidence. If you walk somewhere in a pilot's uniform, you can get into the White House while Obama's sleeping. Yeah. In the Lincoln bedroom, Ben, that's the quote from 30 Rock. I don't think so. Yeah. You know why? Why? You know why I'm right? Why? Because I'm confident about it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, you have to be confident to have that haircut. Darn right. You really do. (laughs) Not only confidence, but like a blind confidence, like a a, a lack of awareness. Blind confidence is the right word for it, it, yeah. Yeah, it blends very well with a lack of self-awareness kind of thing, so... Anyway, uh, yeah. we're going to talk about how Liz is wrong and I'm right, and that's a standard podcast. But to be specific, let's dig into some of these uh, series, right, Liz? Yeah, let's ready. What do we ready. got going here? Ready. What's, what's first up? Oh, you know what's first up. The coveted 11-22-63 from Hulu. Ah. The show that was supposed to put them on the map, make them some awards contenders, and, you know, I don't know, be good. Yeah, that almost worked out for them. It got... Like, not quite halfway there. It was, I mean, the thing about this list that we're doing is that the the thing about this list when we do it at the beginning of every year is that some of these shows we have seen 100% and we've got like a really good, we've got a really good read on where they, how they, how they are going to fare. Some of these shows we don't have, we, we haven't seen. And so as a result, I think with 1122, we'd... Actually, no, that's right. We we had seen like at least a few episodes before uh, before writing this list, and I, I at least had, and I was pretty up on it. Like I was pretty I was pretty high on it. I thought it was uh, you know a very compelling adaptation of Stephen King's book. Um, but I think honestly, the problem with Eleven Twenty Two isn't the fact that it wasn't it wasn't up to standards that uh, up to the standards we were looking for. I think the problem is simply what we saw with pretty much every other Hulu premiere this year which is that Hulu simply has a really hard time of cracking into the conversation. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it has a lot to do with their weekly release model. I think that's still holding back because so many people are eager to binge, but so much of Hulu's, you know, prominence and, and the necessity for it is because they do have a lot of broadcast shows on there. It essentially works as a DVR of sorts for a lot of people. 
um, where you can just kind of stay current on a lot of current programming so that you want to have those incentives to come back week to week, but it's also difficult for you to get excited about a new show. You only get two episodes. You're not allowed to keep going for another until the next week, and that kind of slows things down. But, you know, they're experimenting with some new things. They're getting ready this coming December, right, to release Shut Eye? Shut Eye, yeah. All at once. So Is Shut Eye Shut Eyes all at once? One of them is. One of their new ones is all at once. I thought it was one of their more younger skewing shows, but they, they are showing interest in trying to do more, trying to do different release models than what they've planned in the past. And, you know, I as a fan of the kind of programming they've been putting together, I can't wait to see what they do with The Handmaid's Tale. I think uh, it's going to be exciting to see uh, how that evolves. Absolutely. Next on the list are two obvious winners. Yes. Probably, I mean, we had high expectations for these going in, but I argue to say they exceeded even those high expectations and that's fx series atlanta and better things yeah and better things i think we hadn't seen like anything on but we just we had we had the knowledge that pamela adlon is a, t- a real talent she had a uh, louis ck working with her um to create this show about basically <laughs> basically about her uh but in a really beautifully nuanced way uh so yeah Better Things was easy. Uh, Atlanta, I think we'd seen the pilot of, and it was, I think it was actually really helpful to see the pilot on it because that show is so different than you might normally expect. Like, you might think, like, hip-hop comedy set in Atlanta. You would not expect, like, all the surreal aspects that came with it. No, absolutely. It's a very good point. And even beyond that, even beyond the pilot, it changed a lot. Like, it evolved into a very different show as it continued on. Like, each episode had a very strong focus that was independent, not not independent completely, but independent uh, tonally of the last one, even though like a lot of these stories, you know, merged together over the course of the first season. But it was a very, it was a very, very well-made show. It was a very confident voice, you know, coming from Donald Glover. Um, he His performance was very good, but also the supporting cast that he picked out did a fantastic job. Uh, it really did kind of catch the zeitgeist in a really exciting way. And it's been one that's been fun to talk about uh, from week to week which was uh, something that's harder to come by as we get further and further along with the uh, binge culture around here. Yeah, it's a, it's a real, it's not a real shame that we're going to have to wait until uh, a, a little bit longer than usual to get a season two, just because, uh, but, you know, the reason for it, that Donald Glover is going to be Lando Calrissian, is a pretty fun reason. It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good, yeah. You can take it. We take it or leave it. it. Yeah. Gives, gives everyone else who didn't watch season one a chance to catch up. True, yes. I'm sure everybody who watches Star Wars is going to be excited to catch up on Atlanta. Uh, but next on the list is probably Liz's biggest misfire. Uh, Wait, because I excited. was super alone on this one. You were, yeah. I mean, you were pretty much out on an island by yourself trying to tell people, hey, the catch is going to be really good, you guys. I, I, I certainly, I, I maybe didn't finish watching season one of The Catch. But it didn't get canceled. It got renewed. <laughs> So technically, um, it's that, not a failure. Is that how we're gauging our most anticipated list? If it gets renewed, it's fine? If it doesn't get canceled, it's not a complete failure, like, yes. I don't think it was on our list, but I, I imagine if we made a list at the time, we could have put something like How to Get Away with Murder on the list, and there's no way in hell we could argue that that was a successful venture in creative art. I like the catch still. Yeah, it was bad. Krosa. Yeah, Peter Krauss is great, and uh, <laughs> Marielle Enos is a fantastic actress. I would have liked to see her get more opportunity than she had in that show, but, uh, you know, it, it wasn't terrible. It was it was 
better than How to Get Away with Murder, but just didn't quite capture anybody's interest like those other shows did. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean with AB, with an ABC procedural type drama, you know, created by or not created by Shonda Rhimes, but executive produced by Shonda Rhimes, you kind of know what you're getting. And I think what I was really excited about with this one was just kind of, you know, kind of the heisty spy aspect of it, which harkened back to shows I've enjoyed in the past. Uh, shout out to anyone who remembers the ABC drama Eyes. No one remembers the ABC drama Eyes. But Tim Daly, he was great. That show had actually a really good cast. Uh, Rick Worthy, uh, shoot, uh, Natalie Z. I'm going to cut you off there and just get back to the catch because let's not spend a lot of time talking about the ABC <laughs> drama Eyes. Um, One no, season. I, the, the, I think the intriguing thing about the catch when you first heard about it, when you first maybe even just saw the pilot, is Shauna Rhimes has created so many great shows that have so many great twists, but they also build up so many intriguing, compelling romantic relationships, uh, characters individually, strong female protagonists, to the point where we're sick of using the word strong female protagonist because it should be, you should have better descriptors by now. Um, all of those elements combined into a spy-like thriller sounds like a fairly perfect concoction yeah. for this yeah, succeed, I was. So. We were looking for this to change, change, change the game in any significant way, but it was promising as a guilty pleasure show, and it still is one where I like. I still want to go back and finish watching that season at some point, just to say I did. Well, let us know what you think. What you do, Liz, and until then, we can move on to another hot pick, which was a huge success. Everybody loves it. Completely adored by, I mean, men, women, children. Uh, biggest hit of the fall, right, yes. Liz? I mean, no one no one is saying anything negative or feeling like it's hard to watch Divorce. No, Divorce is easily, easily the most popular show on TV right now. Uh, we get flooded with fan emails about this Yeah, guys, this brilliant kill program. it. We get it. You um, love Divorce. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about it. We, you asked us to talk about it multiple times. You've threatened us. I put the pitchforks away for a little bit. Uh, we love Divorce, honestly. I love Divorce. I think it's a fantastic show. I can't wait for this season to wrap up. It really paid off on pretty much everything that it promised going in uh, and then some. It was it was a very unique show. We did not have anything on this when we were making the pick other than knowing Sarah Jessica Parker was coming back to HBO and Sharon Horgan was involved as well as Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, all of these things, I mean, the combination worked really well. Yeah, I feel like the thing that I wouldn't have anticipated looking, especially looking back at what we wrote about it originally, is how much Thomas Hayden Church's impact would would mean to me personally. Like I found, I, I feel like he's the character who surprises me the most on that show, and that's really interesting. But you might have noticed, picked up on some sarcasm there. Divorce is somehow is is a fantastic show. It's really well done, uh, but it has, however, like I think it's alienated a fairly interesting percentage of the audience uh, um, to the point where, you know, people are, find it hard to watch, Ben. Yeah, I don't think there's an argument to be made that it's that people believe it can be hard to watch. I don't know if we'll ever know how much the audience has actually split or turned off or has abandoned it other than just staring at the ratings. But um, so far, I mean, it got picked up for season two by any barometer, according to Liz, that is a mark of success. And the ratings have held up pretty well since a, a strong start. So, um, so yeah, I think the divorce, I think divorce did very well. However, the next one on the list is another one where it's even harder to gauge its success because we literally get no official or even reliable ratings figures from Netflix, and that's Boz Lerman's grand experiment, The Get Down. Uh, which, guys, if you haven't watched it yet, for the love of Pete, come on, 
get on board. It's only six episodes. It's only six episodes. It's the first part of the first season. Um, it It's worth it just to see the money on screen, for one thing. But really, you're paying to see well, by paying i mean your 9.99 subscription fee which we all have kind of just written off by now i think um you're you're paying to see Baz Luhrmann's vision like this thing is beautiful it is a gorgeous piece of cinema and the music alone is worth worth the trip the story i think is uh his best since probably Moulin Rouge uh, it, it's it's a fascinating fascinating piece do you feel like uh if stranger things hadn't made such a massive indentation upon the television world this summer uh the get down would have gotten more attention no i don't i think the get down got a pretty good push in its initial run from you know the critics from audience from people who you know were supposed to be talking about it so it was really up to the audience to discover it and there have been some indications that it's picked up in like with certain demographics and with uh, the people that Netflix wants it to pick up with. But we, again, we just don't know that for sure. And all we can base it on is kind of the buzz that exists today, as well as kind of what we've experienced on our own out in the world, as well as kind of the feedback we get through the site. So it feels like it, it didn't quite catch as much as it deserved to, in my opinion, and definitely not as much as Netflix hoped it would, considering how much they spent on it. But uh, a, a great show, nonetheless. It is a really it is a really stellar show. The thing I like about it, and this is something I'm cribbing from another website, but I really enjoyed this person's observation on Laney Gossip, that it's a show about learning how to do the work. And it's about process in a way that you don't often see on television. And it will make you appreciate the complexity of a old school sample on your favorite hip hop records on such a new level. So it's definitely like so much fun to watch that on that level. And kind of moving on to an ep- a show that was probably peak IndieWire in, peak. in concept. Yeah, if you if you grew a show in a lab, this would be a show made for IndieWire, for the core IndieWire readership. Yeah, that stars as the girlfriend experience, which was executive produced by Steven Soderbergh, inspired by his movie, but very different. Correct, yes. Liz? You're, you dug into this one pretty Oh, deep. yeah. I, I binged the hell out of this one. Um, and, yeah, the thing, about, the thing about the girlfriend experience is that they Soderbergh kind of I guess got approached to make a TV show and instead of making it himself he went and found Amy Simons and Lodge Kerrigan who are two independent filmmakers with very you know very singular points of view and he was like okay you guys do it so they wrote the show together um Simons and Simons and Kerrigan and then uh directed alternating episodes so it's very much a tour sort of ep- show but from a very from very different viewpoints from at t- from time to time, and it's a weird show. It's a weird season of television. It's meant to be anthology style, so they have announced the season two will be happening, but it will be following a different character um, in a different city. So don't expect to see uh, uh, the wonderful, the absolutely wonderful uh, Riley Keogh. How, how do you say her last name? Uh, I'm honestly not sure. I think it's Keogh, but I'm, I'm not. Okay, positive. Riley Keogh. We'll go with that. That sounds vaguely phonetic, so you can look it up and find out for for yourself. But Riley's amazing, and the whole series is very antiseptic and very powerful. I think um, it, it's it's not necessarily the easiest thing to watch. Uh, it's certainly, I, I would argue it's a tougher watch than divorce. So if that's your barometer. Uh, you, you judge accordingly. And this was pushed out back when Stars was still airing their originals on Saturdays, right? 
No, I think the girlfriend experience premiered on a Sunday, um, but I could be wrong. And the most important thing is that they did uh, what a lot of people are doing, and the entire season was available on digital, on VOD, and so forth uh, that night uh, the, with the premiere. So the, they did they did air episodes, uh, you know, one by one on on the actual channel. But if you wanted to just binge your way through the whole thing, you could do so the first weekend. And uh, more importantly. Oh, gosh, what was the point I was going to make about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, what really matters about it is that it's a very it's a very unique show, and I'm really glad it's on our list, and I think we're going to be very excited about whatever comes with season two. It was a Sunday release. Good memory, Liz. Yeah, well, I remember writing the review on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty telling. Yeah. Um, next up on the list, I believe, if I can get back to it, is The Night Manager. Hi. AMC's... Uh, it did pretty well. I mean, Emmy-wise, awards-wise, it's been holding up fairly well. It's hard. It's um, hard to bet against a you know AMC miniseries starring uh, Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie. Let's and not Hugh Laurie dismiss yes. Hugh Laurie, yeah, of course. Um, plus, Suzanne Beer's direction was tremendous. It did look a lot like a Bond movie made for TV. Uh, well, not made for TV as a dismissal. Just literally looked like a Bond movie, and then it was on TV. Um, and it, it was part of the year of Olivia Coleman, which was a so. magnificent year. Can't overstate. The importance of her performance in that series, especially compared to the two Titans who keep getting talked about. Um, it, it wasn't a huge hit for me personally. I, I, I admired a lot about it, as as we've just discussed, but it didn't really tread any new ground or do anything too daring or break any rules like you'd like to see when these kind of creative talents are on board. But by all means and purposes, it was a show worth talking about and a show, you know, especially especially for the performances and especially for uh, the directing, really worth considering when, you know, the Emmys rolled around. So, Yeah, I mean, my thing with Le Carre is it's always kind of felt like something for dads. And I, there's something weirdly alienating about Le Carre's work for me that, because it feels like it's for dads. But, hey, there are lots of dads in the world. One day soon, maybe maybe once you're a, a dad, Ben, you'll go back and you're like, the Night Manager is great. What was past Ben thinking? I like plenty of Lacare's other material, and that's why it was pretty exciting to get excited to get amped for this one. Uh, that's why it was on the list for most anticipated. But I don't know how many dads are excited to see as much shirtless Hiddleston as was included in that. So maybe it's not as boxy as we want to think. Hmm. I mean, who doesn't want to look at shirtless Hiddleston? You I do, mean, right? Plenty of dads. I don't. Doesn't. <laughs> doesn't spark a lot for me. Uh, fair. I mean, we can't all be Justin Thoreau. That's true. Uh, next up on the list is The Path. Oh, yeah. Hulu, another Hulu original, another one pretty highly touted going into the year, another one that got a lot of great reviews. and they Especially pushed, from one Ben T. Travers. Especially from IndieWire's own Ben T. Travers. Um, Hulu gave it a great push, has been giving it a good push for all the awards from the Emmys to the SAGs coming up um, through the Golden Globes. Season 2 is on the way. And yet it's still, like we talked about with 1122, it still feels like it underperformed for them as a just a product in yeah. terms of audience. I mean, it's another one where I'm not ashamed at all to have it on this list. I think season one was, from top to bottom, really intriguing, really smart, really smart, sophisticated television. And especially dealing with a subject matter that we don't see a lot of on television. Uh, you know, we don't talk about religion in this really weird, unique way. Um, so there's there's nothing there's no shame in my heart for having the, the path on this list. Um, uh, I mean, 
Yeah, but it, the opposite, it, it, it is. Yeah, but it is like it is a show where it's like we we have to now tell you guys, hey, there's a show called The Path on Hulu this year, and you should go check it out. Yeah, I mean, part of the helpful areas of this discussion uh, are shows that may have been forgotten, or may have been overlooked, or or may have just been you know part of the year that got run over by everything else that was happening at the time because there is so much TV. We're entering into a space right now where we're going to be making a ton of lists and you're going to be seeing a ton of posts about the best of 2016, the worst of 2016. So the extremes are going to be in there. So kind of covering what we are looking forward to should give you a good idea of where we're at going into this, as well as give you kind of a heads up on some of the stuff that maybe you need to catch up on to engage in those discussions. Yeah. So far, no, no real, uh, no real uh, you know, embarrassments on this list, I got to say. I mean, the catch, but it's fine. No, catch was fun. Cross up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Cross up. This terrible haircut. Everyone's, no one can have your haircut, Ben. I don't have to have mine. They just have to have a good one. Um, I mean. They can't have as good a haircut as, you know, Marsha Clark's and the People versus O.J. Simpson. Such a smooth segue to our next one. Beautiful job, Liz. I did it. This one was good. If you didn't watch it, you should. It was great. Yeah, we've definitely said all there is to be said about this show at this point, considering how much love it got at the Emmys, considering how well it did in the ratings, considering the critical adoration that's been heaped upon it, and considering the massive speculation about what's coming in season two of this anthology series. If you're not aware of this, then I don't know where you've been. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, that's your choice. It's definitely not on us anymore. It's it's ten episodes. That feels like a lot, I know, but it's going. It's so gripping and so engaging. Uh, However, you can get it. If you can get it as a binge, it'd be a great binge. Oh yeah. Um, I remember certainly. I I I had a hard time not. I I think I did in fact just give up at a certain point with the first six episodes and just gobbled them all, all down. Um, but the point, the thing I'll note about. Uh, the people. The thing about People versus O.J. Simpson is that it is the first Ryan Murphy project I feel so comfortable and un, unabashedly endorsing. And the thing about it, and it's an important reminder to have in, in mind as we, uh, you know, as we uh, look at the wreckage that is the latest season of American Horror Story. Ryan Murphy is really great at producing television. He just probably shouldn't be allowed to write it anymore. When Ryan Murphy is not the right the showrunner and writer of record on a television show, uh, like say with People vs. O.J. Simpson, which was written by Scott and Larry, the writers of uh, great films like The People vs. Larry Flint and uh, Ed, Ed were they Ed Wood? Yes. Yes. Like great writers, great, great, at, great at crafting true stories. Letting them take over the reins of, of the writing on the show meant that the show was really phenomenal. Yep, absolutely. And Murphy does okay when he's directing too. But when he's... actually, yeah, like episode two in particular of of a uh, crime story is very well directed, even despite the fact of the world's most obvious music cue, uh, which is uh, Beastie Boys' "Sabotage" as. Uh, as the car chase starts. Sometimes you just got to go with what works. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, <laughs> I mean, Preacher was a show. That happened. That stirred the pot. Did you finish the first season? I did not. I think oh. I got pretty close. I think I got through about seven episodes. Okay. Um, but I did not end up finishing it. It was one that just got overrun for me. And It was uh, a busy time. It was Yeah, that was a... You, you got all that Game of Thrones to watch. Oh, for sure. I was definitely prioritizing Game of Thrones over Preacher the whole season through. 
But uh, hey, it gave us the gift of Ruth Nega. And if we can hold on to anything throughout 2016, heading into the next year, Ruth Nega should be a big part of that. Well, what's hilarious too is that I'm sure Ruth Nega, who's likely about to get nominated for an Academy Award, uh, knocking, Ben is knocking on wood for her. Uh, but she, she basically had she basically plays a supporting role in Preacher, which I'm sure she got cast in like in 2014 or something earlier. And then, of course, uh, her work in the film Loving, uh, which is a major Oscar contender, is, uh, of course, now now being very highly lauded. And I bet she's thinking to herself, oh, boy, I have to go and do season two of this incredibly weird, fucked up show on AMC. I mean, I think she's got to be excited about it. And honestly, the, the great thing to me about Preacher, especially in terms of where she's at now with Loving being rolled out in all the theaters nationwide, uh, it's that people who are exposed to her and who got to know her through Preacher are going to be so impressed with both of her roles because they're so dramatically different from each other. Mm-hmm. She is being asked to do so much, so many different things just from the physicality uh, attached to Preacher uh, to just the, to the you know very quiet role that she ha- she plays in Loving. Everything about those performances kind of contrasts one another. Mm-hmm. So so showing off her range like this within a year uh, in which one was a pretty popular well-seen hit in one genre and another is going to be a critically lauded hopeful Oscar contender in another genre. This should hopefully get her a lot more opportunities in the future. And this is not to dismiss Preacher because it was a pretty good first season. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. And I think the biggest complaint about it is the fact that uh, if basically if you read the comics, uh, you, you're aware that the show, pre- the, 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 the comic book Preacher does not take place as well take place in a small town in Texas. It's a road movie, essentially. And the show, of course, takes place very much in a small town in Texas. And so you're thinking to yourself watching it, eventually this is going to change, right? And boy, howdy, does it change. Uh, And you might look at the first season and be like, that was an awful lot of episodes devoted to kind of almost a lot of setup. But I think season, that that just means that I'm really excited for season two because now they can finally really get going. Well, speaking of things that get going on the road, we are now arriving at Showtime's now-canceled drama, Roadies. And I know Liz was insanely excited about this, but I'll defend her for it because Roadies wasn't perfect. (laughs) It was, it had some flaws, but it filled the gap that's out there, still out there, arguably, in being a very sincere attempt at telling a drama without relying on nastiness or twists or brutal deaths or insanity it was just trying to tell its own story about compassionate people doing things that they love and sometimes it got overly schmaltzy sometimes it didn't make a lot of sense sometimes it took aim at the wrong targets as it did in the third episode which was probably the show's biggest disaster but there was a lot to love about roadies and it's going to be one that people will randomly flip on in a couple years and just kind of be like okay you know that wasn't bad and at the very least, the soundtrack was pretty solid. First canceled show we reached on this list, guys. First cancellation. Yeah, it doesn't mean much. Yeah, I'm just going to point that out. And, yeah, sorry, Ben. I know, yeah, because I was, of course, the most, the biggest roadies fan on the earth. I have that tattoo and everything now. But, you know, I know you cared about it a little bit and would occasionally say the odd nice thing about it. Uh, yeah, I wrote, uh, I wrote two pieces on it, so... How long were those pieces, Ben? Standard length. How long were those pieces, Ben? Standard length. How long is standard length, Ben? I don't know. I mean, my leftover standards, that's about 2,000 words. So this, I guess, was probably a little less. 
Probably about half that. I think it's more like 1500 Ben. Mm, I don't think so, Liz. Good try, though. Uh, moving on to our uh, next topic, which is another one that Liz definitely forced onto this list like she did with roadies. Uh, this one didn't actually air this year. We were kind of yeah. just hopeful. This one, this one is basically like a buy. We we don't we don't take it. We don't take any negative points where we don't take any positive. Yeah, points we'll, for it we'll see what we'll see what happens with it in the coming months because it's on its way to come out. And that's uh, Tom Hardy's FX series Taboo, which he co-created with his father, uh, Chip Hardy. Uh, which I mean, by all accounts so far, from the teasers to the way it's been discussed in uh, various interviews, sounds like it's going to be a pretty crazy show. So at the very least, I think this will be one that we are still highly anticipating for when it rolls out. But uh, for now, obviously, we haven't seen it, so we can't confirm or deny. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the trailers have looked really cool. And, God, effects. how much period stuff has effects done? Like, you know. Got the Americans. Technically, Fargo season two. Technically, yeah. Not technically, it was a period piece, just not that far back. People versus OJ. Yeah, yeah, they're due for a nice, like, classic, you know, pre 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 uh, pre nineteen hundred uh, period drama. So this will be it's Knock an intriguing it it's an intriguing period of time they're picking. So well, speaking of period drama, Liz, this is another one that you were a big fan of, Underground. Yeah, from WGN America. Stand by this one. Yeah. Yeah. Seemed like, by all accounts, a pretty good show. Yeah. I mean, the thing the thing that, uh, if you didn't see Underground uh, as produced by WGN America, go watch it on Hulu. Uh, it has a great cast, including uh, uh, Journey Smollett-Bell and Aldous Hodge, uh, who I love. And uh, they are surrounded by another a, a lot of great actors. Um, shout out to my boy, Christopher Maloney. What, what? I don't have any connection to Christopher Maloney. I interviewed him once. And by the way. But you, you love him. I do love him. Uh, but if you ever see pictures of Christopher Maloney, like, putting his leg up, like, stretching out his ham bone, uh, ham- hamstring, um, he does that all the time. Like, he literally came over to for this interview we were doing, we were supposed to be doing, and he put up his leg and he stretched out his hamstring. Like, he just does that all the time in public. You got to stay loose. Got to stay loose. Maloney knows. Anyways, Underground was great. I was, I'm very happy that we had it featured on this list. Uh, the... And you should, if you if you missed it, it's a it's a really interesting show to watch. It is, it does unfortunately fall into the category of shows about slavery that you know depict how bad slavery was. And there's been some interesting discussion over the recent over the last year about do we need yet another drama telling us how bad slavery was, um, rather as opposed to another you know being telling stories featuring minority casts that aren't about how about brutalizing said minority casts. But you know, that is. A bigger topic than this list, uh, this list discussion entails. So the point is, Underground was a fun. <laughs> Underground was an interesting, not fun all the time, but it was a very interesting, compelling show. And moving on to HBO, two HBO shows that yes. hope to be exactly that, interesting and compelling, as well as just you know shooting for the moon kind of groundbreaking series. We've got Vinyl and we've got Westworld. Obviously, Westworld is still happening right now. I think we can all safely assume that we're pretty pleased with that show so far. Um, it may not be the best show on TV, but it's certainly among the discussion for it. And it's got a lot of elements that I think are really are really going to be a big part of the awards conversation, are going to be a big part of just general conversation. Yeah, it's definitely captured uh, the zeitgeist in a very strong way so far. And Vinyl was the disaster that preceded... Westworld. Now, to be clear, the, the narrative on this is is turning into a bit of revisionist history so far. 
it's not so much that the show was terrible. It's not so much that people hated the show. It was just that people didn't watch the show in the numbers that net or that HBO needed to justify the budget that they put into this thing. Mm-hmm. And because it was a you know a Martin Scorsese, Mick Jagger, uh, huge HBO project that had a, a pretty big budget, debuted with this massive sweeping '70s period two-hour extravaganza. Uh, it needed to kind of hit in certain marks, and as soon as it didn't the conversation started to turn around, and it was more about what's going to happen to HBO. So by the time Westworld rolled out, it was very, very important that Westworld, you know, succeed because HBO couldn't afford to have another disaster in 2016, especially with Game of Thrones going on an extended break. Um, They really needed something to work out. Thankfully, it did. Vinyl wasn't that bad of a show. Vinyl was fine. It was just, we'd been there, we'd done that to a large degree, you could definitely admire Bobby Cannavale's performance. You could admire a lot of Scorsese's direction in the pilot, even if you didn't quite get engaged with it in the way that he'd hoped. But, uh, you know, it's not that it's a bad show. It's just that it didn't, we didn't need it. It wasn't necessary right now. And especially in a year when that's what people are looking for in their TV, and especially in deciding what they're going to watch on TV, this one didn't cut the mustard. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing I take away from vinyl was just, like, if you make a show with all the players from... Boardwalk Empire, but not like some sort of some key ingredients, like say you know Steve Buscemi, Buscemi. I think it's Buscemi, but continue. Okay, but the point is, like, you can't just remake Boardwalk Empire and expect it to work. And also, Boardwalk Empire wasn't that perfect a show to begin with. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's important to know when Boardwalk Empire came out, TV was in a different time than it is now. Like, you can't do that. You can't just do it again. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, vinyl is is what it is. I don't think any of us will forget about it anytime soon because of again how much was put into it. But uh, there's at least one more show on this list, and by that I mean there's exactly <laughs> one more show on this list. Yeah. And I'm just gonna let Liz take over because I think we've said all there really is that needs to be said. But Liz, the X Files. Yeah, that happened. And what's actually really amusing about the X Files being on this list is that. We had known for months, or specifically Ben had known. No, actually, I had known for months. Like, uh, you saw the you saw the first episode for the first time in October of last year. Correct. I saw the I saw I saw it at a screening in November of last year, and I was very well aware of the fact that I was watching something that was not good. <laughs> and you were aware of the fact that you were watching something that was not good. We were mm-hmm. on the same page about the first episode not being good. And yet we hoped. Well, not only that, Liz, but the, the hope overwhelmed kind of the basic requirements of the list. All of these shows are new shows except The X-Files. And we justified putting it on because it was a revival of an old show. So it felt new again. It had been so long that we could argue that this is a new iteration. And frankly... I'd prefer to think of it like that because then you can just fully separate it from what came before. Yeah. The Darren Morgan episode was good. It's true. Just take that one and run away with it. The Morgan and Juan episodes were okay, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just those other three episodes. With some weird unifying element to them. I don't remember what it was. Ben, what was that one thing that all three of the worst episodes of television to air in 2016 had in common? Help me out. I can't imagine. Oh, they were written and directed by Chris Carter. That's right. Such a sick burn. So mean to poor Chris. 
He's just trying to do what he loves. He doesn't give a fuck. He'll keep talking to me. We'll see. Uh, and we'll also see what are our most anticipated shows for 2017 very shortly. We're coming oh, around the bend, God. guys. Yeah, we Got to get ready for a whole new onslaught of television. Not before we tell, say if go go through our uh, best of the uh, best of 2016 li- stuff. Uh, got a whole bunch of lists to make there. Uh, we should figure out whether or not we're going to do a, a live a live ranking of our top 10 list this year. Yeah, that'll be a fun discussion to have, and it'll either be on this very podcast or behind very permanently closed doors. We'll see. I have to flash back to what happened before. But in terms of filling out that list, Liz, what was the best thing you saw last week? Well, Ben, the best thing I saw last week is not necessarily going to make any of these lists. In fact, it seems relatively doomed as TV shows go. But I got a chance to check out NBC's upcoming series, Emerald City, and I found myself very intrigued. I found myself really enjoying it. I found myself wanting to watch more. And those are qualities that, as a professional television viewer, I crave. So um, Emerald City is a very weird very weird adaptation of the Wizard of Oz books, and that's important. I'll get to that in a second. And all 10 episodes are being directed by Tarsim, uh, director of such weirdo movies as The Cell and what else? The, the Fall. Fall. Yeah. And uh, Immortals. Yes. Weirdo, 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 beautiful visuals on every level, and Tarsim really brings it to broadcast television, of all things. Um, and it's a, uh, but again, it's very weird. It's a very weird show. It falls very neatly into my box of bonkers television. Uh, it looks like it belongs in the CW. Yes. No, actually, no. They spent money on it, Ben. Uh, mm-hmm. The CW doesn't have money for this show. Um, and, anyways, the the thing about the Emerald Emerald City is that it's drawing from a lot of elements of the books, which are again full of weirdo plot choices and characters that you don't necessarily remember from Judy Garland's interpretation of the role, and uh, it's it's worth checking out. Like I I I don't think NBC is really throwing a lot at it, but. There's a really compelling lead whose name I'm blanking on and as Dorothy. And then uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is playing the wizard, and that's always fun. And the, you know, the way they've interpreted the stories is unlike anything you've seen before. And I don't think it's going to do particularly well. I don't anticipate there being a season two of Emerald City, but I'm here to, en- I'm here to enjoy season one. I will consider watching it. Only because of your enthusiasm, Liz. Know that. Oh, dear Lord. That's that's not going to work out well for me, is it? Yeah, you never know. I'm going to get punished, aren't I? As we've gone through on this list, you've been wrong before, but you've also been right. Yeah. Thank you very much for acknowledging every once in a while that happens. Absolutely. What's the best thing you saw last week? Uh, I'm going to pull a Liz and <laughs> include two picks here. Uh, first and foremost, you know search how I'm party. not being a dick about it. Well, it's because... You're Liz. But uh, first and foremost, Search Party, TBS. We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it again. Uh, it's fantastic. Please, by all means, check it out. We mentioned how it is available now to stream on demand, all 10 episodes of the first season. Please do that. Um, enjoy every last inch of it. And please ask me about the ending. If you want a question this week, I don't know if we have one in terms of no. most anticipated for the end of the year, but please, if you watch all 10 episodes of Search Party, feel free to email me, ben at ndwire.com, and tell me what you think of the final episode, because it's interesting. Huh. Uh, second pick, called out by one of our devout listeners, I have to 
drop this yet again. Please watch Red Oaks, guys. It's so good. It's so, so good. And uh, it's got a formidable list of indie directors behind it. It's a beautiful show that's, that's very engaging. I'm trying to think of things that I haven't already talked about. Paul Reiser, if you liked Mad About You, you're going to really enjoy this performance because he gets a, a larger spotlight in season two. Um, I'm glad that you're, you're appealing to all the hardcore Mad About You fans that are in our readership. There's plenty of them. There's got to be. Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser? How do you not like that? Yeah, fair. Um, but yeah, those, are, uh, those two are definitely worth checking out right now. Some of the best comedies of the year. Make sure you get to them. Nice. Liz, next thing you're looking forward to. Next thing I'm looking forward to, I am really looking forward to A, rewatching and B, seeing more of Incorporated. Uh, this is the upcoming sci fi drama that takes place in the year 2073. And I'm just going to say, I, I, I think this is probably going to be the opening line of my review. It is the scariest show on television because it is way too real. Um, about, especially like the more you read about the increase in corporatization of our government right now and the increasing lack of resources and the crumbling of America. It's a little too real, guys, but it's so interesting in that regard. And there's a lot of really smart stuff that's happening on that show. And I also connect with the characters. And yeah, I think it's it's not necessarily the best show on television, but it's certainly one that I can't wait to... I, you, you should be looking forward to as much as I am. I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see if... Uh that's kind of specific discussion surrounding the show increases or decreases viewership. We may never know the answer to that, but if that's why it's scary to me, it may be too much right now. It may be too soon. It is. If for, for, for those looking for escapism, this is not the show for you. Right. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, and, you know, you'll be able to read all about it on IndieWire.com where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. If you want to hear about people talking about things other than in um, television shows, I mean, don't listen to Turn It On. But obviously you want to listen to that kind of thing. So do listen to Turn It On with our very own Michael Schneider. And uh, the full array of IndieWire podcasts are at your disposal via IndieWire.com. They're all on iTunes. They're all everywhere. You can possibly look them up. Filmmaker Toolkit is killing it with their guests of late, and uh, the Screen Talk podcast is always incredibly fun to listen to. So please, check them out. Yep. And you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Correct. We will be back next week. And you guys, in the meantime, keep watching television. (laughs) Thank you.